0: right well we are going to uh be looking at discipline two, the home and this morning we're going to particularly be narrowing in on marriage and we're going to look at a number of biblical imperatives for marriage but let's open our time in prayer lord we thank you for this morning we thank you that we can be together we thank you for your grace we thank you for the love that you have poured out upon us And that we can know you, that we can have fellowship with you. Lord, we thank you for the way that that love that you have shown us pours out in our love for one another. And even this morning, being affected by the genuine love and care of these men for me and hopefully I for them uh, is a blessing. And we praise you for that. And I pray that as we look at your word and we look at a number of different principles, that you would aid us in increasing in holiness, that we would be more pleasing to you in every uh, aspect of our life that we would be good worshipers in all that we do. So, Lord, help us, aid us as we work through these principles. Give us soft hearts, moldable hearts, that we would not only hear your desire for us as men of God, but, Lord, that we would act upon that and that we would live that out faithfully for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When we think about the Christian life... I think all of us would agree that the ultimate end of our life is to bring glory and honor to God, that we would want to see him glorified in all that we do. And this should be our goal in marriage as well. That is the aim. That is the target, that God would be glorified. And this is helpful because in a marriage, it's easy to get mixed priorities or even desire good things, but in the wrong priority. It is a good thing to experience a strife-free marriage, but that's not the goal for you as a husband. That's not the ultimate goal. It's good to experience and enjoy a long marriage, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to live a worshipful life yielded to the Lord for his glory. That is the aim. That is the target. See, someone might be able to avoid conflict in their marriage. Somebody might be able to enjoy a long marriage and have both of those things not be for the glory of God. But only the Christian can conduct themselves in their marriage in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And that is our call. Unbelievers have long marriages. Unbelievers have strife. marriages but unbelievers cannot bring glory and honor to God in their marriage. And you, if you're a believer, if you have been transformed by the grace of God, have the tremendous privilege and honor of being able to glorify God in your union with your spouse. Now, as we consider marriage, there's something that we need to recognize right off the bat, and that is that marriage is a beautiful institution and it is a gift from God. When God talks about marriage and his intention for marriage, it is only talked about in a positive light. And maybe I, I know none of you men would ever say something like this or think this thought, but somebody else I'm sure you've heard at some point in time talk about how hard marriage is, right? We would never be guilty of that. But, or even frame marriage in a negative light. Oh, the old ball and chain you know, and many times we're saying that in jest or with sarcasm or things like that, and I understand that, but the reality is, is that marriage is not a bad thing. Marriage is actually a gift from the Lord that is a wonderful and beautiful thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is not something that is negative and it is to be feared and concerned about. And we stew in anxiety because this institute of marriage is intimidating and threatening and hard and this whole world of landmines and such. That's not how God ever thinks about marriage. That's not how God ever talks about marriage. We shouldn't fear marriage. We should fear God. What is scary about marriage is not marriage, but it's actually us. What makes marriage hard is not that God has created this institution of a union that is somehow flawed. God's design for marriage was good until we sinned. And we brought our sin into this good institution. And so the problem is never... To be blamed that God did something wrong in marriage. It's our sinfulness, our deceitful heart, our selfishness, our impure motives. There may be a temptation when we sin to say, oh, marriage is just so hard. No, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Marriage is good. Marriage is right before the Lord. It is a precious gift. Marriage is great. It's a wonderful institution. And whatever hard, whatever hard things we find about marriage, is only hard because of what we bring into it. So this morning, as we consider biblical imperatives for marriage, we're going to look at various biblical imperatives that aid us and help us in navigating our marriages in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Now, sometimes we hear imperatives and we think, oh man, another thing I have to do. And yet I want you just to remember and consider First John 5, 3 that says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. These commandments, these imperatives, this instruction for you is not a burden to be cast upon you. But in fact, when you humble yourself under them and you obey the Lord, it removes a burden. These are for your good. These are for our good. These are evidences of God's kindness to us to give us instruction that leads us into what is right and righteous and holy before him. Now, what if you're single? What if you're not married? Oh, I could have slept in this morning. (laughs) This isn't where the Lord has me. Well, listen, many of these imperatives are not wife specific, but they're simply how the believer is to conduct himself before the Lord in relationship to others. And how much more for the married men should your wife be the primary recipient of what God calls you to be? This means if you're single, you don't have to wait until marriage to cultivate the very characteristics and attributes that that God calls a man to have in his marriage. So don't check out. And listen, if, if a woman turns you down, pursue these things. Because if a woman that you pursue turns you down... Let it not because you're not the right kind of man. Let me say it this way, instead of a whole bunch of negatives there. Um, Be the right kind of man, and if she turns you down, it's not because you haven't cultivated the character that God calls you to have in marriage. Pursue that now. Condition yourself. Train yourself. Discipline yourself to, to be the kind of man that God calls you to be towards others, so that when God, if God, brings a spouse your way, brings a wife your way, You are ready to selflessly give of yourself for her. And it's not a new concept in your life. You've been doing that in the body of Christ faithfully. All right, number one, as we work our way through these biblical imperatives for marriage. Imperative number one, love your wife. These statements, these imperatives are going to seem so obvious as we work our way through them. And almost all of them overlap one with another. And I recognize that by the end of this lesson this morning, you're going to be like, man, Josh just said the same thing over and over again. Yes. Yes. These are the right things. These are God's priorities. This is God's call. Turn to Ephesians 5. I want you to see God's call for the husband In marriage, we're going to start in verse 25. We're going to go through verse 33. But the imperatives for us, for the men, is in verses 25, 28, and 33. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And then verse 28, we see it again. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And then verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. And then again in verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And I know what you're thinking. Why couldn't we just you know, gone with the very last phrase of those verses, right? The wife's, no, the call for you, love your, love your wife, love her and love her in the same way that Christ loves the church. That's the standard to love your wife this way. You have to know the love of Christ. Do you see that? We are called to love our Christ, love our wife as Christ loves the church. And in order to do so, we have to understand how Christ loves the church. We need to know the love of Christ. And this is just an absolute perfect example of the importance, the crucial nature of shepherding your heart first. If you're going to step into your wife's life with self-giving love, with Christ as the standard and how he loves the church, you have to spend time understanding how Christ loves the church. This is why we start with discipline one, shepherd your heart understand the gospel, marinate in the gospel, reflect on the gospel, explore the depths from God's word of the gospel of Christ's unending love for the church. It's crucial that we shepherd our hearts well with the love of Christ. We must look to him. We must saturate our hearts and our minds with the gospel. We must never grow tired of gazing into the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of Christ's self-giving love for the church. And as we do this, Christ is our example of love. He is, he is the example of love and he is our standard of love. Consider John 15, 12. You don't need to turn there right now. You can if you'd like, but you can listen as well. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And here we see one of those calls for the believers in the body of Christ to love one another, and how much more should your wife be the primary recipient of this love that we are called to demonstrate? And in this, when Christ is the standard of love, we find that there are no conditions on our love. We don't set up conditions that she must meet before we will exhibit this kind of self-giving love. No, we simply love with Christ as the example. Think for a moment about Romans 5.8 but God demonstrated his own love for us. When? When we were godless, helpless sinners. That's when Christ died for us. There wasn't a a prerequisite mark that we had to attain to, and then he was willing to die for us. No, he he actually loved us when we were at our worst. There's just never an instance then where her behavior or her disposition, her attitude, her conduct gets us out of this call. We are to love her. And not only are we to love her, but we're to love her as God defines love. We see that love is sacrificial. And so we love sacrificially, we give generously, and we die to ourselves by following Christ as your role model. Let her see. We set aside the focus of giving primarily to ourselves and we give to her. We turn away from our selfishness. We turn away from seeking to control. We turn away from seeking to manipulate. We turn away from self gratification or self absorption in our marriages we simply give and we love and we serve we love and we accept her unconditionally in the same way that Christ loves and accepts the believer without condition and the call here for the husband the aim is not to conduct ourselves in a way that get our gets our wives to love us we simply love we love our spouse, but we love our spouse in the way that God defines love in the way that he calls us to love There's no condition on this. As we ponder these things, just consider for a moment, do you love this way in your relationship? Self-giving, self-sacrificing, no contingencies. What is for her good before the Lord? Do you refuse to hold grudges? Do you give her the silent treatment or seek to manipulate her? Or do you lay down your life without expectation in return? That's what God calls us to, to love. Letter E, love your, love your wife by giving selflessly regardless of her, her response. We've talked about this. You know you are to love her according to God's standard of love. Others don't get to dictate this love that you are to show. A love test is not the standard of love, or determination of her love language is not what you're accountable to. You're accountable to the Lord, and he has said very clearly what love is and what is to look like, and he has demonstrated it perfectly in his Son. Consider the call from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7, as we consider our role as husbands, this is what we are to be. You are to be patient. That is loving your wife. You are to be kind. You must not be jealous or envious. You are to not be boastful. Don't be rude. Do not be self-seeking. Do not be easily angered, men. Right? When you're not feeling well, you've worked a full day, you're exhausted, you come home with expectations, they're not met, the kids are weary from the day, and your wife needs help with them and things aren't going as you planned, do not be easily angered. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Don't delight in evil. You are to bear all things. You believe all things. You hope all things. You endure all things. You love your wife. Next number two, accept your wife. This is the second biblical imperative that we're going to be looking at this morning. Accept your wife. Turn to Romans 15, 7. Just a little bit to the left. We looked at this recently in Romans 15 in regards to the believers' call for one another. And again, how much more should your wife be the primary recipient of our obedience to this call for believers Verse 7, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Well, What does this mean? It means you should die to self-interest and self-protection by daily dying to self-will and seeking God's will in the same way that Christ did as a demonstration of his love and servant's heart. That's what we're called to do. We accept the wife the Lord gave us. When you step into your home, what does your wife sense from you? Is there a preoccupation in you with getting your wife to change to your preferences? Or is there an unwavering commitment on your part to embrace who God calls you to be and an overwhelming sense of contentment and joy and thankfulness on your part for who your wife is? What does she sense from you? What does she see in you? A desire for her to change who she is to accommodate your preferences or a content heart that has accepted her and embraced her as the good gift she is from the Lord, not necessarily all because of who she is, but because of who God has called you to be for her. You accept her. You are content with her. You must love her and accept her as she is, rather than demanding that she change to please you. Your number one priority is not to change your wife, but to be who God calls you to be. You can't change your wife. You can shepherd your wife. You can serve your wife. You can die to yourself for your wife, and we are to do all these things, and then we humbly entrust our wife to the Lord and his sanctifying work as we humbly serve and give of ourselves for her. We die to ourselves for our wives. We do all of these things independently from who she is or how she is treating you. But you may think, Josh, if I do this, you don't know my wife. She'll win. She'll take advantage of me. She'll walk all over me. You don't know her like, like I do. You don't know her faults like I do. Well, turn to 1 Peter 2 for a moment. I want you to see this. This is just staggering. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. I understand that not all marriages are easy. And I understand that there are unique difficulties that you may find yourself in, within your marriage. I want you just to ponder this for a moment as we consider the call to love our spouse and to accept the spouse that the Lord gave us. Verse 21, "'For you have been called for this purpose "'since Christ also suffered for you, "'leading you an example for you to follow in his steps, "'who committed no sin, "'nor was any deceit found in his mouth. "'And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. "'While suffering, he uttered no threats.'" but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. What a precious, precious truth. We must accept our wife and keep entrusting ourselves to God. He knows all. He sees all. Are you ready to not repay evil with evil? Are you ready for Christ to be slandered in your home and not defend yourself? Are you ready to die to your own self-interests and desires? Are you ready to lay down defenses of yourself for the sake of loving and serving and cherishing your wife? Are you ready in your marriage to humbly keep entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously? The reality is, is that if we feel at times persecuted in our marriages, we're probably somewhat delusional. It's very rare that it's a one-person offense, as if we're innocent and our spouse is simply just stringing us up. That's that's very rare. At some point, uh, we fail. It's just inevitable. And that doesn't take away of the difficulty that a man might find himself with a wife who is struggling in sin. Those difficulties can be very real. And conversely, your wife may be struggling with the unholiness of her husband. We're absolutely not perfect in our marriages. Christ was perfect. And when being reviled, he uttered no threats. And he's the standard. He's the example. We need to be more concerned about our holiness before the Lord in our humble service and love of our wife than defending ourselves. God sees all. He's the righteous judge. We can entrust ourselves to him. We need to be more concerned about our holiness than our horizontal vindication before our spouse. it was in, it was complete injustice that jesus was treating was treated the way he was and i can guarantee you that you're not blameless and if you find yourself mistreated in your marriage it's not a complete injustice And yet we need to realize in those moments where we're tempted to sin against our spouse and we're struggling to love her well and things aren't going well, where communication is difficult, where we're missing each other, where maybe even your wife isn't seeing clearly, your goal is not to control her in that moment. Or to get her to see things your way. You be what God calls you to be. You love her. You accept her. You serve her. You humbly entrust yourself to God in that moment. Number three, parative number three, lay down your life for your wife, lay down your, your life for your wife. Second Corinthians 515 says, and he died for all so that they who might, they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Our life is not our own. We are called to love our wives, and that includes laying down our lives for our wife. We are to be willing to do this for her if called to do so, which is the way Christ demonstrated love for believers. And as you consider the subtle ways that this may be manifested, let me ask you a couple questions. In laying down your life for your wife, how does your schedule demonstrate you are laying down your life for your wife? Work life, how does that demonstrate a laying down of self for your wife? There is an abstract and difficult to determine and yet essential balance of working well and hard and diligently as God calls men to work to provide for our family, to support our family, and yet also to not be so absorbed at work to where we neglect the spiritual needs of our family as well. And that's difficult to navigate. And it's, it's not a cookie-coat process determination. Men have different capacities. Families have different needs. Uh, work requires difficult exertion of energy and mental engagement. And yet we need to be intentionally mindful of how we are positioning ourselves that demonstrates a laying down of self for the benefit of our spouse, of our wife, of our family. Before you commit to things, do you think about your wife? Before you join softball leagues that pulls you away from your family for four nights a week, do you think about the needs of your family, the spiritual needs of your family? If I make this decision, I will really enjoy it. I need the exercise and it's good. It's an evangelistic opportunity, but now you're not able to go to small group for three months. We need to think about these things. We need to give consideration to these things. And we need to be willing to set aside hobbies and things that we enjoy that aren't necessarily even bad for what is best. And what is best is a self-giving, laying down, sacrifice to self, die to self for the good of your family. And maybe that's a softball league. It could be. But we need to give thought to that. Biblical imperative number four. Whoop, almost had it up there. Love your wife as you love yourself. Now, to make very clear what I think we're all aware of, but can oftentimes be confused. This is not a call. You must love yourself well, focus on yourself, and then you're well prepared to go love your spouse. Actually, it's the opposite. We, We give so much intentional thought, unintentionally, to loving ourselves. That comes so natural. And the way that it just naturally flows to think about caring for ourselves that's how we are to show love for others. It's not esteeming here the principle of loving yourself. What it's saying is how easily it comes for you to think about loving yourself, that's how you need to pursue love of your spouse. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, Jesus referencing the... Second greatest commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're to focus on her welfare, her desires, her well-being as much as you focus on your own. We looked at that already from Ephesians 5 verses 28 and through 30. Let me ask you this. When, when making a decision, are you skilled at drawing out your wife's desires and preferences? H- have you worked towards that? We're making a family decision here on what to pursue and how to do things. And I have have intentionally sought to become skilled at drawing out my wife's desires and preferences so that I can serve her, care for her, accommodate her. It comes very naturally to think about what you want. We don't have to work hard to love ourselves. And we should cultivate such a disposition to where our minds are trained and our hearts are eager to think of serving our wife first. Dinner tonight. What would be a blessing to my wife? Sometimes it's a blessing to hear from her what she wants. Sometimes you start to investigate, what do you want for dinner? And she goes, well, uh, you just decide. No, 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 no. What do you want? And, and you actually have to learn That what she wants most in that moment is for you to to decide. Until you choose the one thing she doesn't want. (laughs) You decide, oh, let's get in and out. Oh, that sounds horrible. Well, what do you want? I just want you to decide. Come on! (laughs) And you die to yourself. And you, you know, recommend Chick-fil-A. And then all is good in the world of marriage. We love our wives as we love ourselves. Your wife is never an to be an obstacle to your agenda. Caring for your wife, loving her, considering her needs is never an obstacle to your agenda. Just isn't. She is your agenda. And so if you have to labor to serve her, to understand her, to draw her out, that is what you're called to do. There's not something else you're called to do in that moment that she's keeping you from. That's where the Lord has you. And when your life is busy and when work is slammed, you need to conduct yourself where your wife recognizes and your family recognizes that they are not an obstacle to what the Lord has for you in your life and what you're trying to accomplish. Number five, consider your wife is more important than yourself. Consider your wife is more important than yourself. Philippians four, I'm sorry, two, four. We're to protect her from hurt and harm more than you try to protect yourself. And again, we see these are principles. This is what the Christian is called to be one with another. And your wife should be the primary recipient of this attribute that Christians are to have consider her more important than yourself. You're to protect her from hurt and harm more than you try to protect yourself. You are to treat your wife as you desire to be treated. And so when you've worked a full day and you walk into your home, what kinds of expectations are you bringing into your home in that moment? Are you willing to set those aside and give of yourself considering her needs? What what kind of involvement from me would be a blessing to my wife right now? Whoa, 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 Josh, we have rolls. I bring home the bacon, she cooks the bacon. <laughs> That's how it works. I do this, she does that. I'm so glad you have to find roles in your home. That's really helpful because it helps you know clearly how you can step into her roles and serve her sacrificially and aid her. Don't be above doing laundry. Don't be above unloading the dishwasher or washing dishes or taking out the trash or cooking dinner. Serve. It, it's inconsequential if you're exhausted. Step into your home and serve. Consider her needs above your own. Do you give your wife your best? How easy is it to come home thinking about ourselves and how much we've done all day only to walk in the home with all sorts of expectations of what our wife should have done and what our wife should have accomplished, as opposed to walking in the door with the expectation of ourself that though it is the end of the day and I'm exhausted, I'm going to give her my very best. Listen, sometimes we have no clue what our wives have been through at the end of the day. And we might walk in the door and the house is messy and the laundry's not done and dinner hasn't even been thought about. But you know what? Your precious little ones have been cared for and protected and shepherded and disciplined time after time and rescued from one another as strife rose up. Not to mention the conversations and encouragements with other women in the body and the other things that you aren't seeing in that moment that she's taking care of. And you walk in and what do you feel? I have just worked a 13 and 14 hour day. What have you been doing all day? Oh, men. (laughs) Shut your mouth. (laughs) Don't bring that in the home. Don't bring that in the home. Even if she was negligent all day doesn't excuse you die to yourself consider her needs step in and serve and listen we're called to do this even if you're exhausted even if it's at the end of the day the best athletes on the planet are highlighted for what they do at the end of the game not in the first three minutes Playing the whole game and doing well isn't an excuse for dribbling it off your foot in the last five seconds when you're down by a point. God-honoring husbands cannot shrink back and cannot disappear, disappear at the end of the day. When the game's on the line, at the end of the day, when you're exhausted, when you've run the race for that day and you step into your home, be your best for your spouse to the glory of God. Considering your wife's needs above your own is not an obstacle to what needs to get done in your home. It's not an obstacle to your agenda. It needs to be our agenda. And listen, what's the lie? I'm exhausted. I just need to sit down, turn on a game, turn on a show, listen to music, go do your hobby in the garage, disappear. And we think "That's, that's going to be so much better. That's the lie, right? I just need some me time. To quote the famous Will Ferrell from Elf. No. It will be far better if we serve sacrificially. If we consider her needs as more important than our our own. Number six, imitate Christ in your love for your wife. And you can see just the repetition here. The call for us to imitate Christ, to love as Christ, to die to ourselves as Christ. And continuing on in Philippians four or Philippians 2, from verse 4, where we are called to consider each other's needs as more important than our own, Paul then transitions in verse 5, looking to Christ in the following verses as the standard. He humbled himself, right? Taking on the form of flesh, being made in the likeness of men. Our service to our wives is an outflow and an evidence of our love for our wives. And so when dinner is over and everybody's working to clean, but you, that's backwards. We need to lead the charge in selfless service in our home. It is nice having kids at the age where they can help around the house and they should help. We should give our children responsibilities within the home. We should help them learn the value of of contribution to a household and self-giving love and service to one another and learning a good work ethic. And we should not be some sort of monarch in our home that demands of our wife and our kids service while we sit on our couches and observe. We need to lead by example. Call them to work encourage them to work, train them to work, and join them in work and service. Imitate Christ. Do not exert leadership that excludes you from service in the home. Biblical leadership is actually evidenced in service of our wife, in service of our family, in service of others, and our attitude is commanded here to be the same as Christ, who humbled himself by assuming the role of a slave. What we see is true humility is evidenced in putting the interests and welfare of our wife and our family before our own by giving of ourselves regardless of the inconvenience or the difficulty that's involved. We are to love humbly, sacrificially, but listen, we are also called to lead. And These things don't oppose one another. That's biblical imperative number seven. Lead your wife from 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to turn this to this one with me. What we're talking about here in imitating Christ and looking to him and our love for our spouse and our service of our spouse doesn't mean that then there is some sort of passive or unactive leadership in our home. This is actually the expression of biblical leadership, godly, Christ-like, sacrificial love, but yet we are still called to lead. And we are in our sacrificial love actually leading our wife well when we are doing it as God calls us to. Consider 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. Here, God's divine order, his institution for the roles for a man and a woman, a man is under the leadership of Christ, and a wife is under the leadership of her husband. And we are to lead. We're to lead our our wives because this is the position already given to you by God. This is God's design. And in considering this, let me ask you, (coughs) does your wife beg you to pray with the family? Could we pray together more as a family? Do you read scripture together? Is there a pattern of family devotions? When you're home, who takes the lead in discipline and spiritual guidance of your children? You lead your wife as Christ leads his church by being a decision maker to whom she submits. You lead the family towards what is right and good before the Lord. And yet all of those principles of self-giving love and investigative care for her and understanding her needs and her desires, those things in conjunction with God's instruction for what we are called to be and do, give you the fuel for your leadership and your exercising of that authority that the Lord has given you. And so in making decisions, you are making them with her best interest in mind before the Lord with your family's good. But you're called to lead. If you've conducted yourself as a chief servant in your home, if you have loved your wife unconditionally and demonstrated yourself to be for your wife, when a decision needs to be made, how much easier do you think it will be for her to submit to your leadership? If there's a piece of chocolate cake left on the counter and you go, I'm the leader of the home, and I really want that cake, and I'm going to eat it. Sorry, wife. Right? You have your self-interest in mind. If you worked together mutually, let's, let's come to this conclusion. What's fair? What's right between us? Well, let's split the cake. But, Julie, I'm three and a half times your size. <laughs> so I'm going to take three and a half times of the cake. <laughs> or what if, what if she goes, I trust your judgment, honey. You've only demonstrated yourself to consider my needs above your own. And I go, you know what? You love chocolate cake. I don't need cake. I clearly don't need more cake. <laughs> you take it. Is that going to be hard for her to submit to when the decision is so clearly considered with what would serve her best? That's going to be a joy for her to come under that kind of leadership. And that's the kind of leadership that we're called to exert, where we have demonstrated ourselves to be for our spouse to the glory of God. We want what is good and honoring to her. So when the time comes that a decision needs to be made for the family, and you might not even be on the same page, she knows unquestionably that you are making this decision with her best interest in mind. What a joy. What a sweetness. And again, She actually may not see all those things in any given moment, and you are still called to lead this way. Her best interest in mind, honoring the Lord. You lead by seeking wisdom and decision-making through scriptures, prayer, wise counsel, and you consider all the other biblical imperatives in your care for your wife as you make those decisions. spiritual leadership is dying to yourself for the sake of another. What this doesn't mean is that you're passive. This doesn't mean you let your wife run whatever she way she desires without thought of her spiritual well-being. If your wife wants what is displeasing to the Lord, you need to lead her. You need to care for her. There may be times where you need to admonish your wife. And yet, Scripture is the authority, not your preferences. Your wife should experience your praises as the overwhelming tone of your interaction, not your rebuke. And yet, there may be moments where you need to rebuke your wife. And each one should be founded upon Scripture and done with much grace and patience and gentleness and kindness and care. And yet, listen, sometimes men take this as permission to just... To just slam their wife at every corner with every sin. To put their wives under a microscope and anything that might be questionable. I've got I've to lead my wife and I've got to sanctify her with the washing of water and blood. And, all, and, and you just dive into every weakness or difficulty. That's not what we're talking about here. Listen, your wife should also be the chief recipient of where love can cover multitudes of sins. And especially, men, especially if her sin is against you, bear it, endure it. And yet, if you see her going down a path that you know is offensive to the Lord, intercede, step in, care for her. And a life of commitment to her good outside of that moment of care for her in her sin will only increase your trustworthiness in that moment where it feels very difficult to be cared for in that way. We need to actively engage in our home. Tom Engstead has said it this way, realize that no decision is a decision. If you are passive in your home, you are actively passive, and that is unhelpful. You should not put your wife in a position to be tempted to take over your God-given responsibilities as the leader in the home. That means that your wife should not be tempted to conjure up a plan for Bible studies and prayer as a family because she's asked you 10 times and you continue to neglect spiritual care in your home. Don't put her in that situation. Lead your home, shepherd your wife, shepherd your kids, and do it selflessly with a Christ-like disposition, seeking her needs and her benefit above your own. Okay, we have a few more. We're going to make our way through them uh, at a little bit quicker, quicker pace. Imperative number eight: provide and protect for your family. Provide and protect your family, making sure all the basic needs for physical sustenance, shelter, health, spiritual growth are given to them. Be a hard worker. Be faithful, be diligent, adjust your lifestyle to your income, manage your households, learn to be content, encourage your family in contentment in the way that you talk about your salary, your job, what you have, your possessions. Don't pursue materialistic goals, lusting for what others have. Does your wife hear you talk about how much everyone else has? Oh, did you see so-and-so got this? Man, it'd just be so nice if we could get that. Man, they're on another vacation here. Oh, it'd be so nice if we could go do that. Don't bring your heart's discontentment into your home. Address the discontentment in your heart and bring dependability, reliability, godliness, contentment, into your home. Protect your family by not being involved in excessive behaviors, work, hobbies. Listen, men, as much as you can, find hobbies that draw you closer to your family, not take you away. As much as you can. Not that it's sin to go do something that you enjoy without your family, but listen, if your main hobby is golf, and nobody in your family likes golf, and you find yourself playing golf 10 hours a week, and you're in a season of life where that is detrimental to your family's care, don't golf. Find something that you can engage members of your household in. Protect and teach by exhibiting and being a good role model. Protect your family by being alert. Listen, men, be alert. What is being viewed on your television? what is being viewed on your computers in your home what do you hear on the radio what reading materials are in your home be exemplary in this be alert to friends and companions who are your friends who are your kids playing with who are their friends julie and i when we bought our home talked frequently at the encouragement of others that we want our home to be the hub of kids in the neighborhood we want to know what's going... We want to know what our kids are doing when they're, when they're with our friends. And so at any opportunity when our kids ask, uh, we, we can either go play at Wyatt's house or we can come over to our house. Wyatt's a great kid and I love his family. But I would way rather all of their friends be running into our home. And it's great. They do. And it's wonderful. Know who your friends, who your, who your children are talking to. Care for your family that way. Who Who is your wife giving a voice to? Be aware. Provide spiritual leadership so that she is not listening online to all sorts of preachers and you have no idea who she's, who she's hearing from. Be engaged. Protect your family by not enabling or supporting the sin of a family member by ignoring evil influences. Protect your family from wrong teaching. Imperative number nine, understand God's design for intimacy in marriage. Understand God's design for intimacy in marriage. God's design for intimacy is that it is an act of giving to your wife rather than receiving. God's goal in marital intimacy is is not performance, but rather to express self-giving love for your spouse. Thus, we are to guard our minds. We make purity of thought, attitude, and behavior our goal. We are to develop a biblical view of sexuality. Don't be controlled by sexual lust, which can lead to unreasonable demands on your wife. Do not be dependent on sex to build your ego and give you some sort of personal fulfillment. Do not seek to, to satisfy your sexual lust through pornography or other people. Listen, that is garbage and filth when you put it in your mind, and you are going to inevitably bring that into your marriage. Selfish, self seeking, as opposed to self giving, care, love. Understand that your body belongs to your wife for sexual purposes. Your goal and your aim is her good, her pleasure. And understand that God does not want you to selfishly deprive your wife. You are to give of yourself for her. All of the principles of self-giving love are absolutely crucial in sexual intimacy. And single guys, this is so good because you are laboring for sexual purity now. You are laboring for sexual purity now. And there's a temptation for the day that God brings a wife into your life to go, oh, finally I can fulfill these sexual urges and desires, it's me time. And you are going to wreak havoc in your home if you bring that kind of attitude into sexual intimacy with your spouse. You are still to be restrained, self-controlled, and to give of yourself for your wife's good. Even when the Lord permits sexual intimacy because of marriage it's wonderful it's it's beautiful it's designed by god to give glory and honor to him as you conduct yourself in self-giving love for the pleasure of your spouse that spouse that is god's design number 10 cast your burdens on the lord marriage is not hard but we sin and there will be difficulties that you bring into your marriage that your spouse brings into your marriage. And when things are difficult, when things are hard, when you don't know how to press forward, when you are faint-hearted because you're just struggling for either your sin, her sin, most likely combination, cast your burdens on the Lord. He cares for you. He will sustain you as leader in the home. He will comfort you. He will care for you. Trust in his sufficient grace. When you think, my wife is really difficult and I'm just done. Admonish yourself to never think that thought again. And entrust yourself to God who gives to you all that you need. Divine power for life and godliness. And that includes whatever difficulty you find yourself in your marriage. And press forward being faithful before him. Be a role model of thankfulness and contentment when trials hit your home. They will come. Continually point your wife to dependency on God by being a man who is constantly depending on God. Bear her burdens. Your wife is never an obstacle to what God would want in your life and is always an opportunity to please the Lord in your selfless care. Listen, men. You might someday desire something really good. For example, you might desire ministry, and the needs of your wife might be greater than what qualifies you for ministry, for pastoral ministry. In that moment, when all you want, I just want to serve the Lord and God's people, he, and, and it's a good work that I desire to do. God says so, and your wife isn't there. She, in that moment, is not an obstacle to God's will and desire and plan for your life. God's will in that moment and plan for your life is to focus your attention on self-giving love and care and spiritual leadership and service to her. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that's hard to hear. And it's hard to live. Cast your burdens on the Lord. There will be trials you will face. Serve your wife in those trials, and then lastly, as we wrap up this morning, live with your wife in an understanding way. My father-in-law told me a story of his dad uh, and mom before they were even Christians, and he went to his dad and said, "Um, "I have never seen you and mom fight. And tell me, tell me the secret. What's? And this is this is before they were even Christians." This man loved his wife, not like a Christian love, (laughs) but he, he, he got the principle of the gift that his wife was to him. He goes, what in the world would be more important than my wife that I would, that I would speak harshly to her? And, um, Greg, my father-in-law just said that, that just set a trajectory for me and how I wanted to treat my wife and recognize her as a gift from the Lord and then that man became a believer and it only intensified his expression of love and his devotion to love and how that was manifested which was awesome but what a, what a sobering thought to consider your wife and go what on this planet is more important than my wife that i would mistreat her stress at work bring that into the home wait is is work more important than my wife agenda things i want to get done car needs to be repaired Wife interjects, she wants me to do something else. Really? The car's more important than serving my wife? I mean, when we just think about it out loud, um, it's humbling. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Be sensitive to her, compassionate towards her. Don't be threatened by her. Seek to help and, and encourage her. Care for her. Confess your sins to her. Be willing to confess your sins to God with her as a witness and make a habit of seeking her forgiveness. When you sin, Seek her forgiveness without expectation of anything from her. Be understanding a good listener. Be understanding by encouraging her daily. Look for ways to compliment your wife and identify evidences of God's grace in your wife. Frequently tell your wife that you love her and tell her why you love her. Be an active participant in the encouragement and building up of your wife. Live with her in an understanding way. So that God might be glorified as we conduct ourselves as he calls us in our marriages. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. We thank you for your instruction. These are calls. These are imperatives, commands for the Christian uh, that we know are beyond our capacity. Um, But yet your spirit, he dwells within us. You grant to us what we don't possess on our own. You enable us to that which is pleasing to you. Lord, we know that even in our sin, there's no temptation, but what is common to man and with the temptation, there's a way of escape. And at every corner where we are tempted to not be what you call us to be in our marriage, you have provided a way for us to walk in obedience. So help us to take that way. Help us to walk faithfully before you. And for the men who are single, Lord, I pray that you would sustain them in contentment, that you would Drive them all the more towards godliness of life so that they are prepared to be godly shepherds and good servants in their homes, should you grant to them a wife. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to be together. We pray that we, you would use it for our conformity to Christ's likeness, our sanctification, and for your glory. Pray that even today we would go home and that we would uh, view our wives in the precious, sweet life light that they are as a gift from the Lord. Lord, that we would serve selflessly for your glory and for their good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.